0: Well, hey, we're, we're, uh, we're concluding uh, the, our series that has taken us uh, at the end of today then all the way through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And uh, if, if you're just joining us here at the very end, we've, we've been chipping away at the book and, and uh, we will have read every verse of the whole letter by the end of today. And we've been remembering that the first half of the book uh, largely focuses on Christian identity, who we are in Jesus because of what God has done for us. We're saved by grace through faith, and we become children of God, dearly loved children of God, and we're ushered into the family business and given a mission assignment in what God's doing in the world, our identity in Christ. And then the second half of the book deals largely with the outworking of that in our lives. And, and um, unlike, uh, unlike kind of a, a legalistic understanding of religion, uh, th- this outworking is not just a, a checklist we're to do, a description of the kingdom kind of life that 's possible in Christ because we 've now been filled with the Spirit and are being um, made like Jesus every day you know this great this great journey and work of the christian's life to become more and more like Jesus and in so doing become more and more the people we were really created to be uh, so that the second half of the book a, a life worthy of the calling to which we have been called and and the apostle Paul ends this. Uh, this wonderful letter, which really is applicable to to every church across time. It's kind of a universal statement. He ends this letter uh, leaning into a conversation about the spiritual struggle in which we find ourselves. So last week we talked about understanding the battle, uh, this this spiritual battle in which we find ourselves. And we focused on these things, that that struggle is real, uh, that people are not the enemy, that the struggle is spiritual, and that that at least a primary battlefield uh, is in the mind. Primary battleground is in, in our minds, in, in the inner dialogue. Um, and as, as a quick side note, I don't know if you know this, but there's a group of people who gather every Sunday morning before the service to pray for the one who is preaching that day and to pray over everything that will happen uh, this morning, and a number of you have participated in that. Last week, the group gathered, and they always asked the person preaching, who was me last week, hey, what's the sermon about? Where are we going? And, and I explained that a bit. And that group very specifically prayed that God would pour out his spirit on us, because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and that in that, people would be set free from thoughts that might have been holding them captive, and that the tables might be turned, and that we might gain ground in taking those thoughts captive, to the obedience of Jesus. And, and I've got to tell you, these kinds of things are subjective, so I don't really know how to gauge them. But wow, we're, did I have a lot of follow-up conversations after last week's message, uh, be, it, be it emails, thank you if you just sent a note of encouragement, uh, phone conversations, face-to-face kinds of connections. That, that conversation about spiritual battle and, and applying that to the inner dialogue seemed to have struck a real nerve. So I've been kind of praying through that and just thinking about that and I think, I think we learned a few things from that. One, as a community, as a church, we, could, we should uh, continue praying freedom for each other because we're struggling with stuff. That's real. We're all doing that. Uh, you know, and, the, and the scripture very clearly teaches us as churches to, to continue praying for one another. So let's do that, shall we? Pray for our church family. Uh, second, it clarified for me that we need to drill down a little bit more on uh, the, the inner dialogue and the spiritual aspect of that. You know, that the world, the flesh, and the devil can get in here and there, there are scripts running through our mind all the time and we're either buying them or uh, resisting them and you can see this unfold in life. Th- this, is, uh, this is how human beings get guided this direction or that direction. Largely, what they're doing with that that inner dialogue. And if there indeed is a spiritual battle there, that would be a very, very important thing. Um, And and then finally, if, if becoming a disciple who makes disciples is primarily premised on following Jesus... You know, that's, that's what Christianity is about. Jesus said, come and follow me. He didn't just say, come and believe in me. He said, follow me. He said, believe in me too. But following involves more. And if part of following is listening to the Lord, then being able to discern the noise in that space would also be very important. Uh, so, again, the whole area of spiritual struggle in the inner dialogue seems to have struck a nerve, and rightly so, because it's a big, big deal. It, it, it directly applies our faith to how we experience life moment by moment, and that is an important thing. So we'll be doing more of that, and we'll be doing a little more of that today as we think about the specific elements of the armor of God. So, so let's listen to the second half of the scripture about the armor of God.
1: Again, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, the last half of chapter 6. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And Paul says, Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains." Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Friends, this is the word of the Lord.
0: Therefore, put on the whole armor of God, the full armor of God. You know, whenever there's a, whenever there's a therefore in scripture, you have to ask what came before this is just referring to the last verse of our text from last week. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. Uh, this is the why behind meeting the armor of God, to combat the greater forces of evil uh, in the world. Again, left to our own, um, we'd be lost in this. What's needed is armor with a power greater than our strength, armor with divine power, and the scripture tells us that that is exactly what God has given us, uh, an armor endowed with divine power. That's the, the why behind needing this. The, the the word that Paul used to refer to this armor was based on the, the primary military imagery of the day, which was the great Roman army, right? And the, and the word that he used to describe the, the full armor, word translated as that, refers to the, uh, uh, the, the heaviest equipment that was able to be transported by a Roman soldier over long distance. It was the full battle armor, the, the whole uh, compilation of advanced military tools that the Roman army had developed, so this, this was the picture in Paul's head. It was a very specific picture, not just a general reference. He has in mind a Roman soldier fully equipped. And in, in the Old Testament, uh, the, the scripture, Jesus' Bible, if you will, the Old Testament, speaks of God as our shield and strength. And in the New Testament, God, God shares that power with us, right? And it's ours to put on that armor and, and to... Um, engage the battle with, with evil. Again, this is the why we need this. But beyond the why, there's a purpose for putting the armor on so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Stand firm then. You see the word stand is repeated three times. Stand your ground after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then. The point is stability Christian stability because wobbly Christians get blown all over the place. Remember Ephesians 4? Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. The wind of every teaching. We, we live in a, in a world that offers us a, 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 a veritable buffet of worldview options. Right? there there are many winds of teaching, many ideas that are trying to plant themselves in our inner dialogue for deeper consideration by the supercomputer that exists between your ears, right? And it wants to gain ground. It wants to get traction. It wants to take over. Those thoughts do. But Christian stability requires the armor of God, divine power to protect against those things. So we have a why and we have a what. Specifically, so that we can stand when the day of evil comes. So that you can stand when the crisis comes. Because it will come. Crises come in our lives. And they, they might be times of in, intense pressure. Or deep pain and grief. And... If you've experienced this, I imagine you you have, you know what happens. Your mind is flooded with thoughts. It's like a barrage, isn't it? And the world, the flesh, and the devil push to the front of your mind all those thoughts that question the character of God. If, If God wanted to help, he could have. So why didn't he? Why wouldn't he? Why would God do this? Why would God do this to me? And you you know those thoughts because the same accuser is engaging all of us. The same lies are being played upon all of us. And let me tell you, the devil is most unoriginal. He only has one play in his book. Now, there are multiple variations on that play, but... It's a one-play book, and the basic play is to call into question the character of God. It's the same play the devil used with Adam and Eve, remember? It's the great lie. God really doesn't love you. God really doesn't care about you. God does not have your best interests in mind. If you're going to make it in this world, you, you better do it on your own. Go ahead and eat the fruit. We need the armor of God because we... We face powers beyond our capacity to engage, right? We need the armor of God to stand firm against the devil's schemes. We need the armor of God to be stable in Christ. So let's look at the armor, and uh, this is, was a, a big caveat. There have been all sorts of people throughout the centuries that have done many things with these, the, the pieces of the armor of God. You, you might have seen some of these if you followed Christ for some period of time. Uh, Paul lists the six main pieces of a Roman soldier's armor. Here they are, the the belt, the breastplate, the boots, the shield, the helmet, and the sword. And he likens them to aspects of our faith, to truth, righteousness, uh, the good news of peace, or the, the gospel we have to share, faith, salvation, and the word of God. So let's just take a little time and look at, at, at all of these. The, the belt was the base piece of the armor. Uh, to tighten one's belt didn't mean simply to get ready for a lean time. It meant to prepare oneself for battle. You tightened the belt. It literally held the other pieces of armor together. It kind of looped and tied and that kind of thing. When you tightened it, it firmed everything up. I take this to have a couple meanings. I think it's the truth of doctrine, the truth of the gospel, And I think it means truth in our hearts, Uh, integrity, transparency, that kind of thing. The, The gospel is the truth. Jesus is who he claimed to be, and he did exactly what he said he came to do. It's pinned to the timeline of history by a cross, never to be changed. It's the truth. It's that basic. And it's the first thing we put on as followers of Jesus is getting in touch with the basic message that Jesus really lived and really died and really rose again and really lives right now. And he loves people and wants everybody back. That's the truth. And, and the, 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 there's an inward truth that is also foundational to our identity in Christ and kind of holds everything else together, doesn't it? Now, this is in, in integrity, truth on the inside. Says the Apostle Paul in Romans, a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. This is talking about truth in here, right? Because if if we resort to kind of scheming and lying and hypocrisy, we're we're playing the devil's game and we're not going to beat him at his own game, nor should we try. Uh, but, but what all of the principalities and powers of evil everywhere absolutely abhor is honesty that is vulnerable and transparent. There's, there's a reason vulnerability is hard. There's a reason it's hard to lay all your cards on the table, even with the people you love most deeply. Because when we do this, the principalities and powers of evil begin to lose their hold, lose their grip, and they don't like that. They're fighting hard to keep everything wrapped up and packaged away. This is what the apostle, or what, what James is getting at when he wrote this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confess your sins to one another. Not to everybody now. You're close insiders, right? Confess your sins to one another. Be vulnerable and transparent and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I don't know exactly what James meant when he was talking about being healed, but I wonder if it might include being healed of the internal scripts running through our inner dialogue they would have us believe things that are not true about ourselves, that that hold us captive. So truth is important. Uh, The truth of the gospel and truth in our own hearts, the belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness, Paul almost universally uses uh, uh, righteousness to refer to our justification in Christ. Uh, God, God puts people right with himself by grace and through faith in Jesus, that's what happens. And and the gospel is not just about God dealing with uh, the negative balance in our spiritual bank account. It's not just about writing that negative balance and bringing it back to zero or even. The gospel is about God pouring into our account all of the, the, the perfect obedience of Christ, Christ's riches at our expense, Right. Uh, it's it's like the uh, I, I like the word processor example. If you had a, a, a split screen on your computer screen and two uh, screen or two windows of uh, the same word processor processor up, and on this screen was Jesus' performance record, and on this screen is your performance record. Uh, by grace through faith, what happens is God copies the perfect performance record of Jesus, then goes and highlights everything in your performance record and pastes over it the perfect performance record of Jesus. The perfectly validating performance record of Jesus uh, is the phrase that Tim Keller uses, which I so love. The perfectly validating performance record of Jesus pasted into your record. The the righteousness of Christ, the received righteousness of Christ, this this is what it means. Uh, The the breastplate for a Roman soldier uh, covered both the front and the back. Some people have argued that if it was just a breastplate covering the front, it means that we should always face evil head on and not turn our backs on it, otherwise we might be made vulnerable. And while that might make for good spiritual advice, it's not really the picture here. Because for a Roman soldier, the breastplate was much like a police officer's vest. It was always there. Because in the moment you needed it, you wouldn't have time to go get it. The most fundamental piece of the armor protecting all of the vital organs. Christian, covered, protected, covered... By righteousness, protected by righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. The good news of peace, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Again, the the, the specific words Paul uses are very important. The Roman boot envisioned here was the half boot. It was light, flexible, had some traction on the bottom, but it was made for moving, not for staying put. It gave traction, didn't offer a lot of protection, but for traveling long distances. It would protect your feet. Uh, Remember the big four with which Jesus charged us, repent, believe, wait, and go. Boots are for going. The good news is meant to be shared, and we're fitted in Christ with the readiness that comes from from being able to share the gospel when opportunities uh, arise. Quite an incredible thing. Says one commentator, this tiptoe readiness to share the gospel has a stabilizing influence in our lives. You might have experienced that, it does. If you feel ready to share, it makes you more stable. Your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The shield of faith, When I say shield, you might envision several different pictures in your head. We're not talking a little Captain America circular shield here. The shield to which Paul referred was the full Roman battle shield, 1.2 meters tall, three-quarters of a meter wide. It would shield an entire very large person. Here's more about it. It consisted of two layers of wood glued together and covered first with linen and then with hide. It was bound with iron above and below and it was specially designed to put out the dangerous incendiary missiles then in use, especially arrows dipped in pitch, lit on one end and fired. You've seen the movies, right? That's the picture. Advancing army. The first thing the defenders do, release the flaming arrows, right? And there's a, there's a dark cloud, a barrage, that flies through the sky and lands on the opposing force. That happened all the time in the ancient world and the Romans had mastered the defense because they would take this shield and they'd plant it in the ground and lean back and they would be completely protected. No arrows getting in at all. Just the 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 barrage is done. You stand up, take your sword, and move on. And it was that easy. No arrows got by that that shield. Of course, applied to our life. I mean, you can make the applications. You you've experienced times when you feel like the cloud of flaming arrows is falling from the sky. You've experienced times when you have needed to plant your shield and lean back and just stay put. And that's okay. That's why you've got a shield. God knows that those times are gonna come. The shield of faith. The helmet of salvation. All sorts of interpretations out there on this one. I just made up my own. (laughs) It seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? Your head's rather important. Soldiers pretty much anywhere wear a helmet to protect their head. If you have a helmet of salvation, it would seem obvious that awareness of your salvation in Christ and continually reminding yourself of that salvation and keeping it in mind would, in fact, protect your mind, protect your head, the helmet of salvation. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is the only piece that can be used both for defense and offense. And again, the word Paul used was very important. It wasn't the big battle sword, whatever, the three foot thing you swing around. It was the short sword, the dagger that you kept right here, intended only for very close combat. You pulled this sword only when the enemy was upon you and you were wrestling. Because those times come. Sometimes the enemy gets right in there and it's very close. And we have a sword. Jesus used it in the wilderness while being tempted by the devil. Every new wrestling move attempted by the enemy was countered by the sword of the spirit, the word of God. Remember it. Turn this stone to bread and your appetites will be fulfilled. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Bow down and worship me, and and all your ambitions will be realized. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Throw yourself down from here. You'll be a religious superstar, and your need for approval will be quenched. It is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The full armor of God. This is real. God has given all of us to us for our good, for our freedom, and to empower us. Not just that we might stay safe where we are, there's a common misunderstanding in, in Christianity that Christians are on the defensive in a rather aggressive world filled with dangers and pitfalls. The mental model which some of us seem to ha- have accepted is that Christians need to circle the wagons, band together to protect our own. Better yet, even, we might consider building a, a walled city with a strong gate, strong enough to withstand all of the assaults of hell. Represented in this world by the principalities and powers with which we struggle daily. Let's, let's come together and be safe. But that's not the biblical image at all. It's just not. Remember what Jesus said, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And the, the rock upon which The church is built was Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ, which came in the verses just before this. This is the gospel, the foundation of the church. Jesus is Lord. Amen? Jesus is Lord. The part about the gates of hell not overcoming it is also important because of the mental model, the visual, the assumption. The idea is that the gates of hell will not withstand the onslaught of the church advancing in the goodness of the gospel. We're not on the defensive. Now, that doesn't mean we should be offensive. What it means is we're not on the defensive. The image of scripture for Christians is not that we're huddled up, wringing our hands, worried about all the dangers of this world pressing in. The pictures that we've been given, uh, regiven really, our real identity in Christ, and given a commission, a mission shared with God in this world, to see all people everywhere, discipled. All people everywhere, willingly become learners, uh, followers of Jesus. Repent, believe, wait, and go. Go. You know, notice that right after explaining the armor, Paul tells us to pray in the spirit on all occasions. Then he asks the Ephesians to pray for him, modeling the kind of vulnerability that he suggests with the belt of truth, right? Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me. So that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Who knows? I mean, you read Paul and he sure seems fearless. But he was a human being just like all of us. He asked, asked him to pray that he might proclaim the gospel fearlessly. He repeated it twice. Tells me he was struggling with fear. What might happen? And the ask was that he might have clarity and courage to to tell other people about Jesus. So see, the armor of God protects us as we join in the mission of God. That's the real thing. It doesn't just protect us as we stay. It does do that. It protects us as we go. And that's really its intent, if you think back to the Roman soldier analogy, because all of this armor was designed to be portable. One individual could carry everything they needed to defend themselves fully. The same is true for us spiritually. One, one final thought here is a way of personal application. We're, we're in a battle, the battle's real. You know that, I know that. It's a spiritual battle, people aren't the enemy. People aren't, even if they seem like they're the enemy, people are not the enemy. There is an enemy, but people aren't the enemy. Mind is a primary battlefield. But let's let's hold this in perspective. Look at this from Colossians. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, uh, by the way, that, was, that links to the, the, word, the final word Jesus used from the cross, one of the final words, tetelestai. That was a, a legal business term stamped on bills that meant the debt has been paid in full. Literally, canceled our legal indebtedness. Debt paid in full. Which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed The powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The principalities and powers of evil have been defeated and disarmed. I mean, the only power they have is their insidious whispering, right? The seeding of lies here and and, and there seeking to have us turn on one another and devour each other. And unfortunately, that actually is working in this world. Therefore, as Christians... At least according to 2 Corinthians, right? As Christians, we're called to demolish every argument and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Identify the battlefield in here and any thought that gets in there, don't just disavow it, demolish it. Not one stone left standing on that idea in the mind. And in so doing, we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Jesus. In essence, we can now say this to the principalities and powers parading around our inner dialogue. Hey, time out. I'm sorry to interrupt your your constant messaging world, flesh and devil, but you seem to have me confused with someone who doesn't understand what's really going on here. You seem to think you're pretty tricky, but well, here's, here's the thing. Jesus gave me your playbook. I've read the whole thing, and to be frank, it's not very creative, and and more than that, I know you're just lying, and I'm not buying it anymore. Every one of my appetites has been satisfied by God and his provision for me. All of my ambitions have been quenched by the calling of God to be a co-worker with him in this world and the advancement of his kingdom. And my need for approval has been filled to overflowing when my heavenly father told me in Jesus that he loves me and is pleased with me. So, world, flesh, and devil, be silent and go away. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Pray with me. Father, would you uh, replay the tapes of this morning in our minds and erase from them anything that is kind of just me and not from you? But continue to replay that which was from you, Lord. Help us in our our struggle with the thoughts that shoot through our minds. We know that some of those thoughts would seek to to keep us down and hold us back with regard to our faith, with regard to our next step with you, uh, with regard to maybe even considering uh, that you might really be who you claimed to be. Uh, Whatever those are, Lord, would you help us in that? Pour out your spirit on us, uh, help us in identifying those, help us in the struggle we face in this world. Create faith in us that we might see you and follow you, love you and honor you and become more like you. Thank you, Jesus. We ask all of this in your name.
1: Amen.